Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, everything school HQ, question mark? I don't know. We'll talk about it on this edition of the full ride here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am joined at this time by fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It is good to be back with our with our week three reaction. It was a... Uh... You know, there's never a dull weekend for college football. People said a lot about this uh, this slate being a, a snooze fest, but we definitely got, we still got a lot. The college football always gives us something. Yeah, don't complain. Like, I will say, like, it wasn't like this amazing slate. It was a lot of bad football. Um, it wasn't like you were, you were getting a lot of the good stuff here. I'll tell you, I, uh, from 2 to 2.15 to 3.45, so it's my anniversary weekend, and uh, my wife, uh, we got a couple's massage uh, on Saturday afternoon before the Tennessee game and everything got it. I'm glad I got that. I didn't know what I was in <laughs> for that night, but getting a deep tissue, I've never gotten a massage 90 minute deep man. tissue. It like, it, it was a lot, man. Like it was, uh, I feel a lot better, but never gotten one. Uh, I just, the knots in my shoulder, uh, and everything else. And just, uh, it, it was fantastic, but I missed uh, the beginning of the, <laughs> the Georgia South Carolina game. So it was just funny watching that. And I, I didn't have the, the this is a long way of me saying because I was so zen from 90 minutes of just uh, like really, really nice uh, getaway brain like relaxation and uh, muscle relaxation that like I'm watching Spencer Rattler carve up Georgia in the first half and I'm just lying on my couch like I don't even want to bother Matt at the moment I'm just uh <laughs> I'm just sitting there enjoying the moment I'm just lying down cozy and I, I just I had I told Samantha I was like 
I don't know how I'm going to be for this Florida game because I am not the least bit amped. I don't know how I'm supposed to get up for the rest of the day because I just, I felt like a monk, like all afternoon. I was just, uh, I was completely zinned out. I, I've never been more like relaxed and calm uh, than the, after the, the two hours after uh, the 90 minute uh, couples massage my wife and I had. It's great. Highly recommend. Hey, that you may have found something for uh for a lot of stressed out folks on Saturdays, but but yeah, this was actually the second year in a row, Georgia South Carolina. I was watching uh, on a wedding weekend because uh, mm. obviously it was your wedding a year ago. But um, yeah, this one this was a little trickier. I uh, it was like three thirty kickoff. It was a noon kickoff last year, so I had to mm. I had the earpiece in. They they called me Agent Green at one <laughs> point, you know, because I just had like the AirPod in, just like I was keeping it low key. Uh, sitting at the end of the table also so you, could, you couldn't really uh, see my right ear it's like mm-hmm. you know the my left side's facing the, the rest of the table but um but yeah Wait, what it was, time uh, was the wedding oh man it was we probably went in the actual like it was like in a restaurant kind of thing it was mm-hmm. pretty low-key um but it was like 4 30 5 o'clock or so Ooh. so it was close to that wed uh halftime so yeah. like but a lot of like kind of just the hanging around time just kind of waiting to go in it was like i'm just kind of just got one AirPod in, just trying to trying to look at trying to look at this screen as much as I can, but sometimes you couldn't, so you just had to rely on the audio. Mm. But um, but yeah, it was uh, it was definitely solid. Uh, Tori said I kept it subtle, so that's all I that's all I care about. So it's uh, it wasn't like after the fact I had to answer to anything, uh, because I was like obnoxious during the game or anything. Also, fourteen three mm. deficit, and I would I like to say that I, at halftime I was I was keeping my cool. I was I was uh. Real, real, uh, even keeled there. I'm glad the guy who's a fan of a team that's won back-to-back national championships kept it cool by being down double digits at home to South Carolina, <laughs> unranked South Carolina who lost to North Carolina two weeks ago. Yeah, I'm glad you're able to keep your cool Saturday night, Matt Green. Hey, fans are gonna real fan, brave, you know? and no one else is watching the game. So if I am getting like, or so, you know, making grunting and making noises, like, dude, man, what's what's that guy doing down there? Hold on. But, is that what you sound like during the games? Is it like is no, Tori like in the like other a, room? Like is that Zeus? Is that Maddox or is that Matt? I don't know who's that, making those that noises. That was like my my uh, Im- impression of like you're at the table and like uh-huh. you can't make any noise and you're excited. You know that was a like one of those kind of silent fist bumps. Like you know you, you know you know what I'm saying. But I don't know. Regardless, but yeah, it was. Mm. But the best part of the of the night though, congratulations to to Alex and Ty for for getting married. Of course, this weekend mm-hmm. my. Uh, my my sister in law. Yeah. Um, I don't know what her game is though. Coming that close to my wedding day, uh, <laughs> it seems like that. But a... so we were in. It was in a Vinings, like mm-hmm. pretty close to the Battery, and yeah. we went to the sports bar after, which I've been to before. It's a it's a West Virginia sports bar, and like I've always said, I want to go to like these places, you know, and see like big games when these teams are playing a game. But it was just like five minutes down the street, and so we just happened to be going to this one like during. During the backyard brawl, like Pittsburgh, West Virginia, and it was just like I was feeling it, man. It made me be like, I want to find a Florida State bar or something and, and watch the Miami game there or something. It was just, it was an awesome time. Eat shit, pit. That's their, uh, that's their thing. They're going with. I'm a, I, I was a West Virginia fan for the evening. Oh wow, what was the funniest thing you saw from a West Virginia fan? No, I mean, nothing like crazy happened. The eat mm. shit pit is probably the most noteworthy thing. Then they play like mm. Sweet Caroline and 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 through the through the eat shit pit in the bump 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 part of Sweet Caroline. But um, yeah, it was just it was a it was an excellent time. Okay, what part was this? Uh, Lassiter's. 
Lasseter's Tavern and and Bindings. Yeah, highly recommend. Quality spot. Free I would never guess that there's a West Virginia bar in Atlanta, but you know there is enough. Like you never know where uh, where they are because I mean Atlanta's a gigantic town. I guess there are enough West Virginia fans in Atlanta that have moved over, yeah, find their exactly. spot, and then they have like Pittsburgh Penguins, like Steelers stuff up too. So it's like that's that's truly how backyard the backyard brawl is. Like these West Virginia fans are are rooting for the the Pittsburgh pro teams for the most part. Yeah, they're pretty close. Um, well, there you go, Matt Green. I'm glad you had fun. Uh, we had very different <laughs> college football watching experiences, <laughs> I've learned here. Uh, you were all amped up and at a wedding, going to a sports bar, and I'm over here, like, just... I, I kid you not. My wife was like, I'm terrified of you driving home. Like, I, like it was one of those where we were... Oh, jeez. We were... I was... I, Matt, I'm not kidding. I, I've never been more, like, completely zoned out and, like, relaxed than after that 90-minute... Like... It was uh, highly recommend. Can't say it enough. I went in with very dubious expectations about like how this <laughs> was going to go. And if I was going to get be like, oh, I don't know, like, can we wrap this up like this? I'm trying to watch football. I didn't know where my mind would be. Like, would I be ready to like, would I want to put on headphones to listen to Georgia, South Carolina? It's, it sounds like you may have been, you know, partly to blame for Tennessee's performance. You're not wrong. You didn't you didn't really bring it mentally. That I wasn't that there fire. at all. Matt, I wasn't there at all. Like, I literally took a nap in between the end of the Georgia game to um, the Tennessee game. Like, I set my alarm to wake up at 6.55 getting ready for Tennessee, Florida, and I was still pretty out of it um, early on. And then gradually, as you know, we'll, we'll get to. Uh, the game woke me up because it uh, wasn't a fun time and a lot of uh, uh, loud noises <laughs> as that game went along and, uh, you know, Great officiating as always. Great, 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 great ball game. Great, great fun. I had a lot of, lot of fun for the three hours watching Tennessee, Florida last night. Matt Green is great, great time. <laughs> um, I'm just the walking Ben Affleck Tennessee jersey meme. I, I love sharing it every time Tennessee just does this because that's how I feel every time. That is ben your Affleck. go-to for it's sure. It's my go-to because that's how I feel. Is Ben Affleck in the uh, obviously photoshopped Tennessee sweater smoking a cig, uh, following a. A rough patch there. Well, do we need to just go ahead and jump into that? That's a uh, that's part of my green line stat of the week. I don't want to I don't want to cut you off if you had something else planned. But no, go to the green. Get into it. No, let's do the green line stat of the weekend. Ruin my night, Matt Green. <laughs> the green line stat of the week, which as as you you even threw out another one, Tennessee is now not won a game that Josh Heupel has that they failed to score thirty points under Josh Heupel. Is that the stat that you threw out there right before the show? Uh, if, they have, yes. if they don't score 30 points, they don't win. Yes. Under under Josh Heupel. This is only the third game under Josh Heupel that they've been held to 10 points or less in the first half. Mm. And the other two were 2021 Georgia and 2022 Georgia. So it's like to be doing things against Florida that only Georgia has done to you, like maybe that's a great sign for Florida's defense, but I tend to think this is a really bad sign for Tennessee's offense. Um, it's hard to say. So there was a lot that happened, uh, here, Matt Green. Are, are we just doing the Tennessee conversation now? Yeah, I think we should just jump into it. Okay. It's the, it's the healthiest way to do it. Let's just get this out of the way. Is it the healthiest way? Is that, uh, right is that what that's what the people want. Okay. So Matt Green, um, how did the Vols lose this game? Like obviously first quarter, uh, Florida. Uh, drives down the field, then uh, they get the they 
uh, get the kick blocked, and that was awesome. Where Amari Thomas makes a big play, and they do all that, and it was like, oh wow, the air got kicked out of the building. And then Tennessee marches right down. Perfect drive. It was the best drive they would end up doing uh, all last night in the swamp. Uh, Ramel Keaton finishes it off. Joe looked great. I think he was four for four on that drive. Nice mix and match between Jalen Wright and uh, quick passes, and then some some good, really good throws by Milton. And you're like, oh, this was. I, I had literally was like, oh, this is how the LSU game went. Like some crazy special teams thing first that happened to Florida. And then Tennessee drives right down the field, takes the air out of the building. Uh, and that that's just where my head was like, okay, that's how it's going to roll. And then Florida proceeds to score four straight touchdowns. They dominate the second quarter. Tennessee can't get off the field on third down. It's the same horror show uh, from the last two years when Tennessee implodes. Like, that's just what happens is the defense cannot get off the field on third down, especially against uh, limited competition. I mean, Emory Jones did this two years ago in the swamp. Uh, It just happened to be in the second half, not the second quarter. The problem was Graham Merce didn't attempt to pass through the air 20 yards downfield. Um, It was all over the middle. It was all intermediate stuff. It was all close to the line of scrimmage. It was all uh, Trevor Etienne just running it down Tennessee's throats. And Florida's offensive line pushed around uh, Tennessee's defensive line. And that was what I took away was the biggest stunner because Tennessee's offensive line or defensive line has been very good through two weeks. And there's talent. James Pierce still uh, had a good night, but Tyler Barron was really neutralized here. Omar Norman Lott didn't uh, have a great game. Amari Thomas didn't have a great game. Uh, Not having Keenan Peely really stood out um, in this one. Elijah Herring was not very good um Aaron Beasley was kind of quiet but he did okay um secondary Kamal Haddon imploded uh once again really bad tackle where he just like put his head down and like bounced off uh Trevor Etienne on that big run I know you remember where he burst through the middle and Tennessee's bad secondary tackling reared its ugly head again the secondary was just bad um as a whole uh by and large but ultimately like I didn't expect Florida to be able to run on Tennessee I didn't expect Tennessee not to be able to get home on this Florida uh, offensive line but they dominated the trenches and what I saw on the opposite side Joe I think especially on a rewatch Joe was not Joe was like a C plus last night he had the bad interception obviously that got thrown up and but the thing about that was Florida only rushed three and they still got home um, and hit Joe as he's throwing and look they had like I think six in pass pro on that play and Joe still got hit um, throwing it over the middle field Joe had some bad balls Joe struggled a little bit but Joe had, he did enough to put this team in a position at times where I was like, he, the tempo is never going to be hundred percent, right? He's not Hendon hooker. He's never going to be that. One of the things that I just stood out to me that was playing this day. And I think what scares me most about the rest of this year is like Hypel still has the training wheels on for this offense. Like they're still not taking enough deep shots. They're still just playing it safe. A lot of side to side stuff that I did not think they were going to do in the swamp. And they played scared in the first half. They, when Florida went down the field, like it was one of the more bizarre defensive game plans, especially where Tennessee was not blitzing. Tennessee was not sending the house at Graham Mertz to make Graham Mertz beat them over the top. Like they were giving Graham Mertz and this Florida offense stuff up front. It was almost like it was that whole bend don't break, but again, no turnovers. Tennessee has one turnover through three games. And part of it is they, I don't know if they don't trust the back end or whatever, but my thing is make them beat you. Like, Florida was sending the house at Joe. Florida was testing this Tennessee offensive line and they were aggressive and they were getting home and they were hitting Joe and they were stifling the run game. Like uh, Tennessee didn't really rotate. Jabari Small and Dylan Sampson really didn't play, which was a, a surprise to me. Jalen Wright's a dog. He still had a really good game. Um, Should have got the ball a lot more. Brew really popped in the second half. And I think he's going to be the focal point uh, following this. Um, but 
J.J. Crawford at right tackle is a disaster. You have Gerald Mincy travel with the team. Gerald Mincy only plays special teams because of what happened. Uh, he was cited apparently on Thursday for simple possession. So how does that make any sense that he is kicking field goals or he's on the special team unit, but your best right tackle is not allowed to play um, right tackle on the offense? Like what either suspend him and, or don't like this. That's just insane. Danico Slaughter was a late scratch. It looks like so he didn't play at all at corner. Your best corner didn't play. That's a problem, and he's just on the sidelines, and there's no explanation why Danico Slaughter is not in the game. Um, you're already missing Keenan Peely, like I said. That's a problem. And then Cooper Mays, the center, who I talked about in this program. I was like, it's big to get him back because it's the tempo. That's what gets this thing moving. Cooper Mays is a really good center, really good player, and he's the engine that moves. He's not available, so he doesn't play. And there was you saw Ollie Lane had a really rough uh, series early on with a penalty and some false starts and stuff. He struggled, but he also got better as the game went on. Dane Davis's backup was not good. The Tennessee offensive line, though, as a whole, got crushed in this game. Tennessee's front did whatever they wanted. They manhandled this group, and that wasn't something that I expected. The problem with all of this, Matt Green, and this speaks to like my Joe Milton take as a whole, Joe is the type of quarterback that he people were wondering. It's like he can he can run. He can start moving around. Joe is not an off-platform freelancing quarterback. And the problem with that in this offense, when Tennessee is not getting the five-star guys in the trenches, when Darnell Wright is out of the building, guys like that are out of this building when the offensive line is not nearly as good as it needs to be, you have to have a quarterback that can freestyle. You have a, have a quarterback who can move outside the pocket, who can see that things are breaking down. Joe is just not that guy. Joe needs time. He needs for him to send a ball 80, mile, or 80 yards downfield. You got to let guys get there. You got to give him some time. And I don't think Tennessee has the offensive line this year to let him to do let him do that so it's joe's better than what he was two years ago but i think joe is a bad fit for where tennessee is at on their offensive line and what they're trying to be which is a problem because it, i just don't see the guys in this offensive line locker room right now that can give him enough time to make all that work and i think that was something that was covered up at the end of last year was you still had cooper at center you still had darnell at right tackle for joe in those last two games those guys aren't there the, anymore so I think you're seeing that rear its ugly head. So for me, what I'm most worried about is like, can the vertical attack come back this year? Because you just don't have the time. You're not going to have the time. And Joe's not the guy. Hendon Hooker took off. Hendon Hooker was so good running the football, seeing when stuff wasn't there, breaking uh, and keeping drives alive. A lot of three and outs in this one. They still can't convert third and fourth and short, which they were experts at last year. They were terrible at it in 2021. That's back to the same old, same old. There's just so many different problems. I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but like a lot of people who point to Joe Milton, I'm like, it's just the offensive line and the fit here. It's just not good. The offensive line is not giving him any time at all. The receivers have not been good by and large, um, which has been a problem. I <laughs> They I just have a lot of real problems, but I also think, and this is something that I would tell Tennessee fans to hold off on, they're going to be home for the next month. This is a totally, for whatever reason, a different team at home, and this they have a lot they can get right and get healthy over the next few weeks they get utsa and south carolina at home which is both important but they're not an eastern Con they're not a sec east contender can they still maybe get to nine and three yes but i don't know i just think joe is not going to have the time to do what he needs to do to lead an elite top 10 offense and i don't know what hypo does for the whole year if the offensive line is going to be this bad 
I think it's the way they they lost this game also because you know we we talk about that Army um, Wake Forest game from a couple years ago that's like a shootout that one team's scoring in three plays and the other one's having twelve play drives and taking eight minutes off the clock but it's still forty eight forty eight or something like Tennessee I feel like and Tennessee fans can deal with our offense is clicking but the defense is getting shredded or whatever mm. like it's obviously you don't want your defense to get shredded but and you lose to Florida. 37 34 and neither team can stop the other team uh offensively but for the the for this game to just go perfectly to florida's according to plan you know and be able to just run the ball and you know graham mertz he is solid if he's got a running game like he can't be the guy who's leading the team and just you know just putting the team on his shoulders. So if you can put it on a ETN and Montreal Johnson, like, cause that was my biggest criticism of Florida against the, against Utah. Like, yeah, Utah shut down the run game. They had like 15 yards rushing or something in that game, but Montreal Johnson and, and ETN combined for like 10 carries for like 30 yards. Like they gave up on the running game pretty early on. Like Johnson was kind of held in check in this one, but obviously ETN had the, had the huge run early on and, and he probably still had another hundred yards the rest, the rest of the way. But the fact that they had, I think it was over 37 minutes time of possession and Tennessee had, was 22-something, like, and you said yourself, like Tennessee wants to be more of a running team this year. If they're not able to stay on the field and, and the, they're just limiting the number of possessions like that, they're just not built to score in that same way that Hendon Hooker's offense was a year ago. So I don't know if I'm more worried if I'm Tennessee about the defense or the offensive performance in this game. Um, I'm more worried about the offense because the defense are who they are. Like, I think that's ultimately like <laughs> they stopped some stuff in the second half. They, but I think it was kind of like, uh, my friend Ryan of Rocky Dub Insider on the Kobe Garden Tree Cap show here, uh, earlier tonight, he made a good point of like, it was similar to what Georgia did. So it's kind of a mirage that Tennessee's defense stepped up in the second half. It was like Florida was just playing keep away. Florida was doing what Georgia did yeah. in the rain in the second half where they weren't really trying to march down the field and score. Um, they were just trying to run a bunch of clock and uh, keep Tennessee's offense off the field, which they did a great job. It was kind of similar to, I mean, Kentucky's done that effectively two years ago at home. It was like 45-15 time of possession uh, in that back and forth game against uh, Tennessee in Heupel's first year. But I think he's going to have to play more on the back end. You're going to start have to play some of these talented freshmen. Um, you're going to have to see what else you have there. Uh, you can't just keep going with the same old, same old. On the back end, Aaron Carter flashed a little bit, uh, especially in the run game, the four-star freshman linebacker. Keenan Peely would just, he'd be a huge help. And what he was doing in that Virginia game was just, it looked strong. Him and Aaron Peasley looked like a dynamic duo. And losing him for the majority of the season, it looks like, is just a brutal blow um, to this group. So I don't know if that gets better. But also, defensive line, the pass rush has to be better. Like, the pass rush was just non-existent. James Pierce did a lot. He didn't get home uh, all the way, but he still affected stuff. But Roman Harrison, Tyler Barron, Tyree West, Omar Norman Lotto, Mari Thomas, like Karak Garland, Bryson Easton, they have to do they have to get better. They, they have to get after Spencer Rattler in two weeks. They have to get after Harris next week at home. That just can't continue to be like someone has to break out. Those guys have to start getting better and evolving, or changes are gonna have to be made on that side of the ball because they're not forcing turnovers. They're keeping everything in front. They're playing a lot of zone back there. It's just not a very inspiring defense that you can get really excited about but like you said all that like you can kind of push that aside tennessee was number one in the country with this kind of defense a year ago with less talent 
it was just the offense was the best in the country. So you could overlook some of that. It's like USC fans and Lincoln Riley folks. Um, it's like, yeah, the defense is never going to be top 10, but when your offense is clicking, you're in, you're out, you don't really notice it or you learn to live with it a little bit better. But now Tennessee's, they've got real problems all across the board on offense. And I think that's far more terrifying if you're a Tennessee fan is like, what if we don't get stuck out of neutral? Because every team that struggled on offense for the first two weeks, we heard from like Georgia fans. Oh, Bobo was keeping it vanilla. Tennessee fans. Oh, Heupel was keeping it vanilla. Oh, Alabama fans. When they were struggling, they're keeping it vanilla. So it's an early cliche that folks say when their offense struggles. Actually, sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's just not working. Sometimes they're not, they might be keeping it vanilla, but it's also not working at the vanilla stage. So maybe that's a problem. So I think Tennessee has real issues offensively. I trust Heupel, who's still one of the best offensive minds in the sport, to figure some of this out. It's still early in the year. They can, they're getting, like I said, they're at home for the next month. That's exactly where you need to be to get back on track. They need to get healthy on the offensive line. You need Cooper back at center. You need Gerald Mincy playing right tackle. And you need to start force feeding Brew McCoy like Cedric Tillman a year ago because Brew McCoy had a great second half. He loves contact. He's a huge arm, contested guy. He's a super talented five star receiver who just makes people pay and was really good in the second half here. You got to start doing that. You got to start force feeding uh him and you gotta you gotta put the ball in Jalen Wright's hands more you gotta run the football you cannot be afraid to run it down people's throat big picture wise though like what do you think this game says about Heupel and Tennessee like I feel like this this was a big game this kind of was I was alluding to going in that height like that Napier was under a lot of pressure to just show any sort of signs of you know is this program on the right track but if you lose to number 10 Tennessee 21 20 like that's not just like a fireable offense you know like your tennis florida's trying to show they have a pulse tennessee's trying to show they're among the big boys of the college football playoff contenders and now to lose now a 10th straight at florida like you gotta imagine florida's probably gonna be better the next time you come back in 2025 if napier does have this thing go in the right direction like this was a year that you just had to beat florida at home and now that you don't like now i don't know where our how many losses are on this schedule because Florida was not one of the best teams left on this schedule. So we got A&M, Alabama and Georgia, like who knows? Like I'm not even really including South Carolina and Kentucky, but those are two teams we definitely thought were better than Florida coming into this past weekend. So I just, I kind of wonder how Tennessee fans are looking at just their trajectory. Like people love to say, you know, success is not necessarily like linear. Like you can take a step back and take a step back up, but, I um I, I worry like I tried to warn the Tennessee fans out there of, of the year two bump and then the year three uh the year three slump. I tried to warn them, but uh I think you might see that that this is more of an eight and four, like nine and three might be best case scenario. Like they might be more of just like an eight and four type of team this year. I mean, I think seven and five is on the table. Um yeah. I don't like I said before the year, what did I predict for Tennessee? What I thought I say it was nine happen? and three. Oh, actually, no. wait, I don't know. I, I, you said he'd be benched at one point, but then you said Tennessee would make the playoffs. So I, don't, I, I don't said they would do it. one of two things. Either things they don't miss a beat, and Joe Milton's a Heisman type guy, top five guy in the draft. The receivers all click. The defense a little bit better. They're 11-1 in a playoff team. Or the wheels come off. This is a really bad down year. Injuries pile up. Certain guys don't pop. Joe's not good. And Joe's not bad. Like, Joe is not a DF player. He's a C player. 
and Hendon Hooker was an A minus. So that's a problem. Like it's just you wondered how much hypo could elevate him. Joe's not bad. So people who are like, saw Joe, 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 it's just not. Like he's part of the problem. He's not all the problem. Like there were some bad where he had to call timeouts because he, you could, it was on him where they're having to burn timeouts and part of, he, we don't have to relitigate everything that happened in this game. There was some really bad officiating and some stuff at the end too. The uh, hypo and Napier squashed. Where part of it was how Napier responded because people forget about the context. You have to watch the whole game and like what Napier did before that um, with the timeouts and like hypo getting the ball back, like. And then Graham Mertz was dancing around in the pocket and was kind of like, that's just, you're just take a knee, man. Like if you're like, these guys are still moving, what are they supposed to do um, when you're dancing around? I, I get it, but it's just, that's how tempers fly and stuff like that. So there was blame on both sides, but it was just petty at the end and they squashed it. You saw when they met it uh, 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 at the 50 that it was over. But like what I'm saying is ultimately- people on both sides. Yeah. Like it's, it, it is what it is, whatever. Um, but I just, I think this is seven and five, eight and four. I don't think that I said before the year, nine and three and 10 and two never sound right to me. Either they keep this thing humming and that they have established themselves as like perennial SEC East contenders and they win 10, 11 games, or they fall back to earth in a rough way that fans are a little bit uncomfortable before they get to Nico next year and company and a lot more uh, true freshman talent that are going to be sophomores and then they're going to play. There's a lot of exciting talent here in the pipeline, but it's just they're going to have to hit the portal hard at the offensive line because Cooper's gone after this year. Sprags has gone after this year. Ollie Lane's gone. John Campbell's probably gone. Um, it's just going to be it's kind of wild to think about how different this offensive line is going to look. And I mean, you have a lot of talented freshmen coming in on the offensive line. But are you going to ask a bunch of these true freshmen to play in the SEC right away? Probably not. So I just think over the next two years, it's going to be very interesting to see how Hypel manages all this. But. I mean, there's still a lot of talent. I still believe in Hypo's offensive acumen. It's just, this is the more, I don't know how he gets, do you ever just feel like there's some things where like, I don't know how the current roster he gets out of some of these quagmires that he's in at the moment. I don't know what he you can know, do here. One of mid-season. your more surprising takes I felt like preseason was just that you weren't sold on Joe Milton and that you yeah. weren't going to be surprised if, if Nico was the quarterback yeah. in the month of November and maybe they're, they're kind of playing some games that's more preparing for 2024. But uh, I don't know if you've heard, but it, Joe Milton can throw the ball 90 yards. So I don't know what else. I don't know what else. What more you want? Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. I think they ultimately do get back on track over the next few weeks. They do play well at home. It's not really something Hypel does. He doesn't really lose a lot of these uh, big home games. They get up for home games. I think they'll be fine. And it feels like seven and five, eight and four. I just think it's going to be a step back and a rough wonky year by and large where the coaching staff, my gut tells there's going to be some shakeups this off season, but we'll see ultimately how that it goes. But also the last thing I'll say than this with Tennessee, if you are a Tennessee fan, the one thing you can feel better about right now is outside of LSU and Georgia, everybody else in the SEC looks like a mess. So you look at it, Arkansas loses at home to BYU. Mississippi State gets the crap kicked out of him by LSU. Um, Auburn almost loses a cow. Uh, Vanderbilt loses the wake, <laughs> loses the UNLV. Um, Kentucky, still pretty sloggy at home. They don't look great. Uh, South Carolina loses again, um, blows a double-digit halftime lead at Georgia. They still have offensive problems and are really banged up with injuries. You just go back and forth around the SEC and you're like, 
Look, we had a rough go of it. We usually lose in the swamp. It is what it is. We could still salvage a lot of this year. And the thing about it is the rest of the SEC is wide open. And it's just really hard to know what you're going to get from the rest of this conference. I mean, Alabama, 17-3 at South Florida. Like, outside of LSU and Georgia, who do we know that's good in this conference? Seven oh, and Ole Miss. 17, seven yeah. of the 17 was garbage time. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I think that's definitely a silver lining. And one of the teams you even named of, of the two, or I guess the two teams you named, LSU's already lost the game. Yeah. And, and Georgia definitely didn't look invincible on Saturday. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, don't panic, because, like, I think this conference is just down as a whole this year, and a lot of it comes down to there's a lot of bad quarterbacks in this conference this year. Um, so I think it's going to be a lot of topsy-turvy. I think there's going to be a lot of upsets in this conference and a lot of teams cannibalizing each other um, and some more surprising upsets. But speaking of the dogs in South Carolina, Matt Green, what happened uh, as Georgia came back? And uh, first time, I think Graham Coffey had this stat. Georgia hadn't come back um, from a halftime double-digit lead ever is that true at home is that right i mean they came what were the halftime i mean obviously you're saying at home yes i'm thinking the rose bowl off the top of my head versus oklahoma but um i did not see that stat so that's a that's a pretty quality stat right there for one i'm not making excuses here to, to start things off is anyone else tired of these clock rules like, I swear, I'm noticing a trend. Georgia had three first half possession. Well, they had a fourth first half possession with like, I think like 40 seconds left or something to try to get something before the half. But like, they essentially got Hold the on, ball Hold on, sorry, can I cut you off real quick? I yeah, have this stat. Georgia's win over South Carolina marked the first time since 1999 that the Bulldogs won a game by double digits after trailing double digits at halftime. So the oh, first wow. time since at, 99. At home? Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So... And, in, and you look at Georgia, like what they did in the first half, like it definitely wasn't impressive. Like Spencer Rattler was was cutting up this this team and in a really like uncharacteristic way too, because I think what Georgia's always like prided themselves on, I feel like under Kirby Smart is tackling. And you don't see a lot of the the, the throw it to the just immediately throw it to the sideline and then the receivers just kind of get six, seven yards. Like since Kirby Smart took over at Georgia. They're just such a good tackling team that it, it doesn't seem like that stuff has a lot of success. Because a lot of the, what Rattler was doing wasn't just throwing it downfield, just picking them apart. It was it was a lot of the short stuff, and they were just getting yards after the catch. So you saw that in those first two touchdown drives, just like not. And you know, Javon Bullard was out for this one uh, defensively, and and I think it looked like Georgia missed him. Probably the best game I've seen Tyke Smith play since he's played for Georgia. Like. He needed to step up in that star position. He he looked a little bit like the West Virginia Tyke Smith we saw, um, but yeah, I think the the first half is definitely like at five thirty at five o'clock p.m. or so. Like this was the number one story in college football. But Georgia fans just had to wait it out. They just had to be patient, and a lot more crazy things happen. And after at the end of the day, you're like, oh, I I would have said Georgia would have gone down in the polls, but now you're like, I guess they're still number one because who's who's really better than them it, it, it doesn't look like there's really a great team right now um this this offense it's hard to say like they they definitely look flawed in the first half they have a kicker problem that's for sure it's now the third field missed field goal they've had on the season um well you want to become the new alabama that's part of the deal matt green i hope not but um so 24 14 could have been 30 to 14 and look a little bit better if you could have made those two field goals but yeah like the um just the three first half drives i feel like the offense wasn't really able to get any sort of momentum but i think it it never really felt like i'm not going to say it didn't feel like they were on upset alert like you're losing at halftime by double digits but 
the fact that you just drove down as easily as they did on the on the opening drive of the second half and just punched a seven in, it felt like it was like, okay, we can we can breathe a, a sigh of relief. And then you quickly took a 17-14 lead in the third quarter. And so Georgia played most of the second half with a lead. But um, I, I definitely wasn't right about my prediction on this game. Like, I think you should be more a little more concerned about Georgia's offense than than you previously were. But they were at least able to run the ball in this one. Dejon Edwards was a that was a huge upgrade for Georgia. Like him, he's definitely what Georgia's been missing. Like in in terms of what their top three running backs were supposed to be coming in the season, Kendall Milton still doesn't look healthy. Obviously, Branson Robinson's out for the year. Like Dejon Edwards is actually. He's that guy in the backfield that can yeah, – I think he had over 120 yards in this game. Like He looked really good on Saturday, and that was a, a boost for Georgia's uh, running game for sure. But um, I think the defense – at the end of the day, I think my my number one take about this game, because I think I saw who – who's the guy, um, the on three – the on three Josh Pate, uh, Piquel. Oh, J.D. Piquel, yeah. J.D. Piquel. Uh, that's, that's the vibe I get. I feel like it's the same show. But um, no disrespect to those guys. They do an excellent job. His score for this game was something like 45-28 Georgia or something. I'm just like, do you have any idea who these two teams are? Like, I just didn't see that at all. What the number one take I thought from this game is South Carolina can't score more than two touchdowns on Georgia. And after scoring two touchdowns as quick as they did, it was uh, it was sitting a little shaky there. But uh, the way Georgia improved in the second half, I think that's kind of what separates – Georgia and like Kirby Smart right now. Like Spencer Rattler, what were his numbers in the first half? 16 of 18. Where do I have it? Somewhere on here. <laughs> 16 of 18 for 152 yards and a touchdown. In the second half, he was six of 24 for 104 yards and two picks. Like they really made some adjustments and and shut that South Carolina uh passing offense down in the second half. And on, honestly, on the ground, what did they have like? 50 yards rushing, I want to say, in this game, and like 35 of it was Spencer Rattler scrambling. So South Carolina was basically able to do nothing in from a traditional running sense. They had 53 yards rushing in this one. Yeah, and Rattler had eight for 35. So they um if, if you're gonna be one-dimensional, I don't think you're ever really gonna beat this Georgia defense. And and I think uh for all the for all the Mike Bobo hate out there, like this was not a good offensive performance, but I think this was kind of what my point was that Mike Bobo never had that defense on the other side that he could rely on. Like he had to score 40 points to win and you know, it wasn't a great offensive performance, but seeing around the, um, the landscape of college football, I think Georgia fans, you can breathe a sigh of relief. Like Florida state wasn't dominant. Texas wasn't dominant. And obviously Alabama, they might have bigger problems than we were aware of. So what was the biggest change? Like what, what if, if you're a SEC opponent watching the film of South Carolina, Georgia, what do you think is the strongest takeaway they have from what South Carolina did in the first half that's rep, uh, that another SEC team can replicate against them going forward? Well, I don't know if you saw the stat during um, the, the Georgia game. The last four teams to beat Georgia going back to 2019 mm. all four had Heisman Trophy finalists Joe yeah. Burrow Kyle Trask Mac Jones and then Bryce Young it's not easy just get a Heisman finalist you just get a Heisman and I'm not saying this is going to sound like <laughs> such a homer take that like once someone plays well against your team oh now that guy's a really good player but mm. Spencer Rattler I think early on and part of it's an indictment on the SEC quarterbacks this year 
like he might be the best quarterback in the SEC. Like I would never have thought I would have said that coming into preseason, but he was making plays, more plays with his legs than I feel like I've seen in most games and just just making some good throws downfield and, and South Carolina's receivers were making some some good plays too. So I think that's what always is you've had to have to beat Georgia. You can't be one dimensional. That's for one. So the fact that Georgia was able, they just did nothing on the ground against Georgia. You're not going to beat them that way. And then you just have to get some sort of extraordinary performance out of a out of just a big time quarterback, wide receiver, vertical passing game, like a CJ Stroud or or a Bryce Young. And I think those are the teams you've seen give Georgia trouble consistently. I mean, they give everybody trouble consistently. So I feel like that's what's going to take to win. I'm not sure there is a better quarterback on Georgia's schedule than Spencer Rattler. Like looking at it right now, like who who is the best quarterback? Like Jackson Dart, maybe. Like that that could be a tricky game. Like at least they have Georgia does have that one at home as well. Um, but you look at Joe Milton, like right now, you're you're not really too scared of what Tennessee like obviously other than the fact that you're going to Knoxville and that's gonna be a a rowdy atmosphere and everything. And and that's kind of the same thing with Auburn. It's like it it's Jordan Hare stadium is good for x number of points i don't know how many but auburn as a team shouldn't scare you right now so on the road is a is a different different beast but yeah i just don't think there's a i think that's this is what we really talked about with georgia's schedule like they might not be a great team for a third year in a row but i'm not sure they have anyone on this schedule that's going to expose it yeah, I think Jackson Dart. I think Old Miss now looks a lot more appetizing at the end of the year for Georgia. That could be like we'll see what Old Miss does. But I mean, they're opening as six point dogs on the road to Bama. They can absolutely go into Alabama and win that game. And Lane Kiffin immediately stroking the fires here. I don't know if you saw what he he said tonight, Matt Green about when he's talking about their DC. Yeah, just hilarious stuff. Like either I I mean I don't know what the plan is there if you're Lane Kiffin, but uh, God love him that he's just out here like publicly like. Out, do you like know what Kevin, the do you know what the quote was exactly? Like, do you have it? Like, like it was I think something he, just along the line of saying Kevin Steele, like just from looking, judging their, um, you know, the, the, how they typically call plays. That he's like, that's not Kevin Steele calling plays. Like, that's Travaris Robinson calling that defense. Yes. So he said, I have it right here. We've been against Kevin a number of times. Work with him in Alabama and against him at Auburn and LSU. There seems like there's been a change there. I don't know what happened after the Texas game, but our guys watching the TV copy and schematically in this last game certainly seems like T-Rob's now calling the defense. We play him. We played him before at South Carolina, so we're preparing accordingly for him calling the defense. He's done a good job, too, and they've got really good players. And I just, Kevin, if you know this, if you know this about them, like, why are you saying this publicly? Right. Just, uh, just game plan accordingly and then and talk about it afterwards. This seems like a very interesting, like... I'm telling telling the guy where you're about to kick it on like a penalty kick or something. Like, oh, now is he is he just messing with my mind now? Like, I don't yeah. know. It's, well, like uh, it's uh, Kevin strategy. Clark of the Omaha, uh, formerly of the Ringer, uh, Omaha Productions. This is football show. He <laughs> quote tweeted and said, "This is all things considered one of the wildest things I've ever heard a coach say in a game preview press conference. Our opponent secretly demoted their coordinator per the tape. Just unruly." <laughs> <laughs> yeah like real I, I love lane kiffin uh god bless him uh speaking of lane kiffin they demolished uh georgia tech matt green um i wanted to throw this out here because this is something that i do think what the a moment of where this chase was, was right for a little bit though it you was what? close into the third quarter it, it, the, the game was never in doubt I, I don't think that game was in doubt matt green the reason i say all that though 
I said before the year, Ole Miss was my like SEC West dark horse where I was like, I like this group. I like Quinchon Jenkins. I thought he could be the best running back. And he hasn't even really done all that much uh, to this point in the year. It's been through the air. And that was the biggest question was like, is Jackson Dart the dude? Because you bring in Spencer Sanders. You have Walker Howard, a talented kid coming in here too. You look at it and Jackson Dart is just awesome through three weeks. And that offense still rolling. I mean, you look at it when people talk about Ole Miss or they talk about the SEC right now. And as I talked about at the beginning of the program, the two teams that we know are good. And we'll talk about just how good LSU is in a little bit. But like LSU and Georgia, we know are good. We know they're probably the two best teams in the conference right now. I just when people are like, I don't know anybody else and where they all stand. I think we know Ole Miss is good. I think we know Ole Miss is borderline top 10 team here. 250 passing yards for Jackson, 136 rushing yards. What were they up? 24 to three at one point uh, on tech early. Like Ole Miss is good. I don't know why people are afraid to just say this, but Ole Miss is a top 10 football team this year. And I think could absolutely win the West. The West is wide open. And I think you can make the case that they're the most complete team to this point. I don't know what everyone's afraid of. I guess we'll find out more at Old Miss at we all Alabama this weekend. Certainly, we most certainly do not know that this is a good football team. Georgia Tech, like I, they have a pulse now, but like we don't know anything about Georgia Tech that they're a good team at all. Like we don't know that Tulane is is a is a respectable team. Like whatever, they're they're a solid G five program, but like I think there's still a lot more to be known about Ole Miss. Like, what more do you want to know? They have a great defense. They have a top 10 offense. What are you looking at here? You just want to see it, the competition. That's what it's all about. Like, Alabama's looked flawed for sure. But for one, you just, let's see how they do against Alabama. I think then we'll know something. But, like, they've yet to play a conference game. Like, we can't know anything about an SEC team before they play a conference game. Jordan Jackson Watkins, Darts four, ca- four catches, 119 yards. There was no Judkins, no Harris, Trey Harris in this one. They didn't miss a beat, Macarene. Ole Miss is for real. Like, I don't know. Folks, get on the Ole Miss train, the Kiffin train. It's not going anywhere. They're beating Alabama this weekend. Put it on the record. Mm. They're going into Tuscaloosa and beating Alabama. I don't know about that. I'm not going to put my name to it just yet before I pick up the show. <laughs> but, Matt Green, I'm feeling pretty good about the Ole Miss Rebels uh, to this point in the year. They're legit. Like, Jackson Dart is a legitimately great college quarterback and has made the leap this year. Kiffin and him, they have a dynamic demo duo. Quinshot Jenkins is going to get right. Trey Harris and that receiving core is good. I think the defense is much improved. Pete Golding's an upgrade over what they had a year ago. I don't know, Matt Green. I think Old Miss is a legitimately good team, and I cannot wait for Old Miss LSU because I think that will ultimately decide who wins the West. I definitely get some Matt Corral vibes from mm. uh, from Jackson Dart, uh, the the dual threatness to it all. Uh, luckily, we're not going to have to wait uh, too long for to learn about Ole Miss because yeah. this gauntlet they're about to go through at Alabama, LSU, Arkansas, and at Auburn. I think we're going to learn a lot about Ole Miss over these next four games. But it's it's looks good what they've done so far. But I'll uh, I'm still I'm still waiting to see. Uh, Bama, worse than we thought, Matt Green. Yeah, it's getting real bad. <laughs> it is, uh, I don't even know what to say, to be honest. I think one of the things I was really confused about, it's kind of like when a, when, the, when a team fires a head coach after an 0-3, after like the first two or three games of the season. Like if you knew, if it was going to take that little to, to change your mind, you should have just fired him the year before. It just started out fresh. 
So for Jalen Milrow to get every single snap at quarterback in that Texas game, and he, mm-hmm. he played fine. Like he wasn't, I, don't, I didn't think he was the problem, to be honest, in their offense against Texas. Like this man was running for his life. And if you have a less athletic dude running for his life, he's probably going to do worse. Mm-hmm. So, and you also saw him with the, with the deep shot to J- Jermaine Burton, like on the deep ball. So like, while it wasn't good versus Texas, there was, there was some signs that this should work against other teams we play. So for them to go with two quarterbacks in this game, like I was, we both said, but coming after out of spring, like the Tyler Buckner thing, just the fact that he transferred Alabama to begin with just felt like a red flag. Like why is Alabama getting a quarterback from the portal and a guy who wasn't even really that good at his previous stop. So that felt like a red flag. And then you saw, you saw what he did at South Florida for whatever reason they're playing at South Florida, but you just saw the, just, how little just pulse this offense had like punted on the first five drives of the game. I think punted on six of the first seven drives. Like they even came out in the second half and it looked like more of the same. So the fact that this offense just had no pulse at all, like, yeah, your defense held held South Florida three points, but like, and I got distracted, but I got rerouted on my point. The fact that you had two quarterbacks playing in this game and Milrow wasn't one of them makes me wonder why, neither of those guys got any snaps in the Texas game. I don't even know what you do at quarterback now, right? Like, did you see that stuff Josh Bate was talking about on Twitter where it's like, it was clear on the tape or whatever that uh, Alabama players were not trying as hard or there was like a dip, there was like a, a whole thing about whether or not um, they were because of the quarterback change and they weren't going as hard because they didn't agree with the quarterback change. Yeah, I did see that. And I don't, I don't have inside information like that, so who knows? But that yeah. if, if that's the case, then honestly, Alabama is so much worse than we thought. If it's yeah. if it's a culture issue of like the locker room divided, like if, I I don't we don't even have knowledge to that. So if like right. if that's also going on while under or while being underwhelming on the field, like that's that's a huge red flag. Like they scored their second touchdown with 30 seconds left in this game. Like this was three three halfway through the third quarter. For South Florida. Not I mean, even Central Florida. Milrow, uh, Chris Marler, friend of the show, said, Jalen Miller, really, uh, he really won over the whole fan base by not playing a single down. Chess, not checkers. <laughs> I mean, Ty Simpson got his brains beat in. He goes in, takes a bunch of sacks. Tyler Buckner was a disaster. I mean, I genuinely don't even know what you do next week, Matt Green. Like, which way do you go? I don't know. And I also, the other part that makes me question this is like Jalen Miller, it wasn't Faton Bauta, right? Like it wasn't yeah. like you just brought him out there like, oh, who knows what's going to happen. Then you just take it, you know, it's like it, it honestly, this felt like more like the Faton Bauta game. Like you don't even know what's going on. Uh, <laughs> so you're just going to guess and hopefully these guys, mm-hmm. so the best happens. But I just, I think it's so interesting because if, if Jalen Milrow has a chance to be the quarterback on this team, the South Florida game is probably a solid game for him to get coming off the Texas game. Maybe build some confidence back going into the SEC slate, a big game like Ole Miss next week. But for you to not give him any snaps in this game, it makes me think Nick Saban knows he's not the quarterback. And so he's really worried about trying to build Ty Simpson or Tyler Buckner's confidence moving forward because Milrow's just not even in contention moving forward. Yeah, 
I mean, Pate said, I believe Alabama had players disagree with the staff's QB decision and give uh, no-show effort in response. Never thought I'd see it. I mean, I think you have to go back to Milrow now, right? Like, he was an all-time great teammate, pumping up Ty Simpson after the touchdown drive. He handled it well. It's do or die time. Like, I think of the three who played, he's shown the most. Like, I think, unless you want to go true freshman Dylan Lonergan of uh, Brookwood High School, I just, (laughs) I think you have to go back to Milrow and just ride that up and down thing until the end because at least he was still in the game with texas at least he still yeah. showed flashes like he's not a perfect quarterback by any means, lead. but i think you have to go back to milrow and you need to stick with milrow for the foreseeable future that's what An- i would do is another what you thing do? too i would personally another yeah. thing too is that this whole joyless murder ball they're gonna just you know destroy everyone running the b- ball and everything Jalen Milrow is what plays to that style. Like just yeah. this basic pocket passer and, and no disrespect to Buckner. Like he's, he's got some athleticism too, but we talked about the best case scenario for this team was like 2017 Alabama, which obviously I don't have the receivers that 2017 Alabama did, but that didn't have, that team didn't have a great passing game. It had a game manager at quarterback and Jalen hurts that also had like eight, 900 yards rushing. Like, you, I feel like that was the best case scenario for his Milrow to just be that kind of solid game manager, not lose you any games, and then oh yeah, he can break a fifty yard run at any time. Makes him a whole lot better game manager than a than a Greg McElroy or something. So, I feel like if that if that's what you were committed to, then the Texas loss it shouldn't have done anything to okay Milrow's our guy. We're gonna we're gonna lean on the run. We're gonna do all this. So for you to throw that out after two games and, and maybe Milrow's not even the guy moving forward, it makes it feel like this team is just has so much more uncertainty underneath than we even really realized. Yeah, I am very, very interested to see what next week. And also, it's so much more fun that Bama is like this. I have no idea what Bama is going to give us week in, week <laughs> out. Like we've never seen uh, this Bama team under Nick Saban struggle like this on uh, just in so many different ways. And that. Every week in the SEC, it's not a given right now for the Vanderbilt or for Vanderbilt. Wow, it's a bad slip there for the Alabama Crimson <laughs> Tide here. Uh, Matt Green, um, let's hit Mizzou Kansas State real quick. Probably the best story of the day. Mizzou three and 60 what sixty one yarder by uh, their uh, big 60. big boy uh, kicker here they, to beat uh, Kansas State. They got 56 for the win. That's too easy. Let's get a delay of game. Let's push this back to 61. Dude still drilled it. I mean, I was saw this not the team. You remember, he's the same guy that missed like, what was like the 30 against yarder Auburn. last year? Yes. It was crazy. So from ESPN, Missouri defeated a ranked non-conference opponent as an unranked squad for the first time since 1990, Matt Green. September 29th against number 21, uh, Arizona State. Uh, Harrison Mavis, 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 his 61-yard game-winning field goal is the longest field goal in SEC history, Matt Green. Like, this was a bonkers game, and I watched a lot of this before we, uh, my wife and I left, was that, like, it was a back-and-forth game, and I just assumed that Kansas State was going to run away with this in the second half. And that's not what happened. Mizzou is a much improved team. I like what Kirby Moore has done with that offense. I think Brady Cook is legitimately good. Um, I think the defense is much improved. I think Mizzou, like if you told me, I can't believe I'm saying this, Matt Green, but here's where I'm at through three weeks. 
I think Mizzou is the second best team in the SEC East this year. Oh man, I thought that's where you're about to go. I don't know. Can we? Is the Kansas State win that big? It's unfortunate that Mizzou doesn't get Georgia at home this year because that might decide the SEC East this year, my friend. Missouri's legitimately good. Luther Burden carved Kansas State up. Missouri's front seven a lot better. Um, I just like how they are in a multitude of ways. There's talent on both sides of the ball for Mizzou. Brady Cook's really settled in. Um, his season stats, uh, he's uh, fourth in the conference in 9.8 yards per completion, 72% completion percentage, hasn't thrown a pick, 176 quarterback rating. That's good for third in the conference. He had a bunch of big plays in this one, man. Um, Luther Burden's a legitimate star. Uh, third straight game, he's recorded at least seven receptions for 96 yards. He's over 100 his last two games. He's a star. It just strikes me of a team, Matt Green, that's figured out the right combination of guys, the right staff um, this year for Eli Drinkwitz's team. I don't know. My gut tells me Mizzou is, I'm not saying they're winning 10 games, but I do think Mizzou, that's a huge win. Kansas State's still really good and are going to win a lot of games. That's a big home win, and they deserve a lot of credit for taking care of business late. It got lost in the shuffle here with a crazy slate um, that a lot of games went wonky. But Mizzou deserves a lot of credit for taking care of business and just beating Kansas State. The Big 12 champs of a year ago, outright, when the SEC is struggling as a whole, Mizzou's quietly taking care of business. I think Mizzou is is good. Yeah, without a doubt. It's definitely a huge win. And if if for nothing else, like just the just the optics of it. Like mm. this team beat you 40 to 12 a year ago. Mm. And to to beat them, like that that says a lot about how how different of a place your program's in right now but um was that stat you had is that just sec play because i'm i'm remembering in, in georgia lore kevin butler versus clemson like 19 what like 80 1982 or something like that i want to say it was like a 61 yarder um it says right that here that it was the longest in sec history 61 Okay, well, uh, we'll have to double check that. College Football Hall of Famer Kevin Butler would would like to have a word. Maybe he was sixty. It could have. It could have been. Man, I don't know. Uh, but good win by the Mizzou Tigers. Another big win uh, over the weekend. LSU drubbing, ending that game uh, five minutes into it, seventeen nothing in a hurry. Here, Matt Green. Um, this is something that I had said previously, where a lot of people just took way too much out of that FSU loss and uh, LSU falling apart late. Where I'm like, the talent is still there. Brian Kelly is still an elite coach. Jaden Daniels still might be the most talented quarterback in the conference this year. They're going to figure some stuff out. And Malik Neighbors also figured some stuff out. Jaden Daniels figured some stuff out. LSU had eight pass completions of 15-plus yards uh, in that game. That went for 234 yards total. Uh, friend of the pod, Matt Wyatt, former Mississippi State quarterback, he tweeted out, Mississippi State ran 50 plays today at four yards play. Last week versus Arizona, they ran 56 plays for an average of 5.5. Mississippi State, that offense is broken. That offense is not good. Will Rogers is taking a step back. Um, they were, I think, chanting. The fans were chanting for uh, uh, Davis, the former, or Malik Wright, the former quarterback at Vanderbilt who transferred or transferred in this year to get him in the game. So things aren't really going well for his final year um, and that transition from the air raid to uh, what their uh, new OC coming in from uh app state's doing so it's not going well i think it's going to be a rough year i predicted mississippi state to finish last in the west i think this is the beginning of that free fall um almost lost to arizona at home a week ago it's just rough but also jane daniels is now number three in total offense behind shador sanders and michael Penix. 
Um, he was four for four with 152 yards and two TDs on pass plays of 20 yards or more. Malik Neighbors had 13 catches and 239 yards, Matt Green. LSU is a really good football team that lost to a college football playoff favorite right now at Florida State. LSU's fine. LSU's coming. And LSU is going to win a lot of football games, and they are also a college football playoff contender still to this point. So I think LSU signs a lot of doubters, and LSU is rolling on all cylinders. So I think people need to be afraid of what Brian Kelly's got cooking right now because I think LSU has figured a lot of stuff out, and they have a lot of talent, and Jane Daniels is healthy. And this offense is good. This defense is good. And I, I can't do the voice. Go Tigers. But that's that's coming. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think neighbors had like nine for 180, like, five minutes into the second quarter or something in this one. But yeah, I think uh, I was, I'm still skeptical on LSU and how good they are, but with what we've talked about for the sec top to bottom, they definitely, I think they look clearly like the least flawed team mm. in the sec West. So like they, they might not be a legit playoff contender, but right now they they look like they have the least number of flaws, but Zach Arnett, I'm just not sure how long this is going to last. Like, I just feel like, we don't, as fans, know everything that's going on in a in a coaching office or whatever, game planning. But just from the outside, you see Mississippi State is good at, like, kind of one thing. And let me just go ahead and, like, let's just change that completely. Let's just not throw the ball 50 times a game. Like, that's what you did well. Like, so it's kind of a gimmicky offense, you know, kind of like the, the tech triple option or something. But it worked. It, it worked pretty well. And make your adjustments somewhere else, improve the defense, do whatever you got to do, improve the recruiting, improve the athletes you're getting to run that offense. But it's just, it's a very questionable decision when you come in and immediately change the only things that that's working. And it is much worse. I agree. Uh, I think it's one that we're learning was a mistake. I thought it was a mistake at the moment and it's uh, turning out to be. So um, we'll see how it all ultimately unfolds, but two programs going in very different directions right now, Matt Green. Uh, Penn State from PSU Everything quote on Twitter.com. A positive here is that Drew Aller had his first looks like a first time starter game and it resulted in zero turnovers and no plays that put his team at a disadvantage. That's the difference of Drew Aller versus Sean Clifford and all the other quarterbacks before him. Drew Aller is just a really, really good quarterback and I think he's the best quarterback in the Big Ten and that changes what the Big Ten can be this year and what Penn State can ultimately be. But his upside is just top-notch. They take care of business on the road at Illinois. Tough place to play. That could have gone south for him. The story, though, I think for me, and you could tell me if uh, you disagree here, Matt Green, but Penn State's defense is one of the nation's best, too. And I think this is a complete team where Drew Aller hasn't played his best football yet, and it hasn't mattered because of how good that defense is. They're fourth in defensive efficiency uh, in the country right now. Five first turnovers uh, against Illinois in this one. They are feisty. They get after them, and the offense, I think, is going to be really good. They don't turn the ball over. They don't make dumb mistakes, and Drew Aller has all the upside in the world. I think Penn State's really, really good, Matt Green. I think this is a, a good win by them and shows that they're not to be to be messed with, and they're not going to fall play down to their opponents, even on the road in a tough place to play uh, against Brett Bielema's group. What did, what did you think, sir? Yeah, I feel like this was a really tricky game, like going at Illinois, kind of the backs against the wall type of type of situation. And they just I feel like Illinois is just one of those teams has a way of making you get down in the dirt with them. Right. But Drew Aller, I think I'm definitely high on on him, but 
it's it's definitely a projection, right? Mm. It's the upside of like what he could be because I was getting some strong Sean Clifford vibes when I was watching mm. uh, on Saturday. Like this offense, it it didn't look much different than the typical Penn State offense that we typically see. I think the difference was the defense, like you said, for, forcing five turnovers in this game. And I think Aller didn't turn the ball over, and he just has. I think he's got that upside. So if they're if they're you know, this is first road start in the in Big Ten as a starter. Like that's a that's a big uh you know hurdle to get over. So I think uh I think this was a solid win. They definitely ended up pulling away, making it look a little bigger than I think, you know, kind of a little bit less a little not as close as this game really was going back and forth. But um yeah, I think it's definitely a big win for Penn State. Like I just at this point, like I just have no idea who the best team is in in the Big Ten. Like it just they with what Michigan's playing, you know, offense like the in terms of competition and in Penn State just kind of taking care of business and Ohio State, like the defense looks good and the the offense is whatever, not, not not necessarily as impressive as it typically is. I think we just have a lot left left to learn. I just I kind of group all three of those teams like together in my rankings. They just seem like all perfectly equal to this point. Okay. That's fair. I think that's fair. Um, and we're going to see them play out in big game this weekend with Notre Dame, Ohio State, uh, one of the big ones. Uh, Iowa goes to Penn State. We'll see how, how that works. Um, so we have some good ones. Uh, last one here. Colorado has to come from behind to beat Colorado State late. Uh, my cousin, Sam, was uh, and Uncle Bill was at this game in Boulder and really enjoyed it. And beautiful venue. Oh, wow. That's one you want to go to. Um Matt Green it looks pretty awesome, and obviously Little Wayne leading out Colorado onto the field. Offset, I think, was there. On I've the looked field. inside the stadium once, but never yeah. actually been to a game there. It definitely seems like a bucket list spot. Matt oh yeah, Green. but uh, Shador Sanders, awesome as ever. I mean, Colorado State deserves a lot of credit. They played really well in this game early. Uh, there is a bad cheap shot on Travis Hunter in this one that's going to cause him to miss a couple games. So hope he gets well soon because that was just that was a crap play uh by can, we, big... can we do something about these rules like this is my biggest problem with the, mm. the targeting the ejection that comes with the targeting is like you don't get you shouldn't eject people for just playing the game the way mm. it's like oh but you hit hit the guy a little higher than you should have it's like you eject people for cheap shots for mm. punching people in the nuts just doing something that's just it's unacceptable we, we don't do that in the sport you know what i mean and it's like it was so obvious to me like yeah. the two or three extra steps and just uh, going right into Travis Hunter. Like he, he could have been seriously injured on that play. And it's just, I feel like there's no room for that kind of stuff. No. And now you lose him at the worst possible time. Cause you get Oregon and USC over the next two weeks. And it looks like we won't have Travis Hunter for both of those games. So those were already going to be tough enough for Colorado, but now you're, uh, you're really looking behind the eight ball here, but um, Shador Sanders, there's a lot of credit um after uh colorado went down 28 17 uh early in the fourth he goes 12 of 16 175 yards two tds um two for two on two point conversions last drive to tied at the end 98 yard drive shore sanders is legit man this colorado team like look and people were like getting on john elway people were getting on to him about or the fan base for rushing the field like y'all this team went one and eleven last year. Let them enjoy things. It was a rivalry game. It was an intense week and a back and forth um, with Colorado State and the head coaches going at it and the pregame scuffle and everything else. Let people enjoy things. I'm a big believer in just let people enjoy things. The fans enjoyed it. They're three and zero for the first time in a long time. 
three fun wins. Like, just just let them enjoy things because I also think the next two weeks are going to be very tough for the Colorado yeah. Buffaloes. Celebrate but, the 3-0 no start. Yeah. yeah, the gatekeeping stuff is is definitely weird. But um, it, it, when they went 1-11, the one was Colorado State, though, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that was the only two, like the terrible Colorado. They still beat Colorado State. But I thought this was interesting. Uh, just Colorado State seemed like the team whose coach had been attacked personally. Like they seemed like the team that was playing harder. Like they were the ones that had the chip on their shoulder and everything. Like this was a this was a chippy little game for a while. Yeah. Uh, but Colorado, three and They uh good win for them. And Shador Sanders, man, he's just so much fun to watch. Shador is a exceptionally good quarterback. Um, and one of the best. In the Pac 12 as a whole, you watch Michael Penix just annihilate uh, Michigan State. You watch Bo Nix play really good ball. Caleb Williams obviously playing really good ball. Um, Cam Moore, DJU, like there is just so many dudes. And then you have Stanford losing at home to Sacramento State. Um, so that was unfortunate. But by and large, so many elite players at quarterback in the Pac-12 right now. And Shador, I did not have before the year. He was a wild card. We would see how he would transition from Jackson State to the Pac-12. But he's right there. I'm not saying I would take him over Caleb Williams in the draft, but man, Dude's a great player. For sure. And the last thing I'll say about this game, like I, I, you know, Jay Norvell didn't get much sleep last night because that decision to not go for it on fourth and two, like two minutes to go in the game and punt it to Colorado and let them go 98 yards. Like it worked out as good as it possibly could have like the punt down to the two yard line. But like, they had already converted like a third and one on that drive. Like it felt like they just were kind of, it felt like the Colorado defense was kind of tired, honestly. And if you get two yards, you win that game. Like they're at the 45 yard line, fourth and two. I just feel like, who are you? You're Colorado State. You don't have anything to lose in this situation. Like if you can get two yards and guarantee a win right there with two minutes left in the game, I feel like you got to do it. You can't, you can't put the ball in the hands of maybe the best quarterback in college football, at least top, top three, top five. Nah, maybe I- not the best, but he's up there. Well, it's so hard because there's actually like so many great quarterbacks in the country right now. Like there really are so many great ones that it's really hard to parse through how to rank a lot of these dudes. Like he's somewhere in the top five probably, but you do the list. He throws throws lasers, man. Mm -hmm. Like the thing just shoots out of his hand. Like it's a he's impressive to watch. I'm, I'm curious to see what this team does the rest of the way. Obviously, everybody is, but he he, uh, it should be fun. Uh, final thing, Matt Green, before we wrap up our show and you uh, reveal the pick for how we did. Uh, no great teams through three weeks. Like Florida State almost goes down to Boston College. Texas struggles with Wyoming at home. Are there like are there no great teams this year? Do you have is Georgia considered a great team? Have you seen enough to put them in that category right now? Like where are you at in the great team watch here? I think that's like you said with uh, with Tennessee, kind of the silver lining of, of losing to Florida is you're definitely still a contender just because of how many question marks there still are in the SEC. I think that's how Georgia fans should probably feel. Like most, most years, that performance they had uh, on Saturday, they probably do at least at least lose a lot of the first place votes. Like you look at the top 25 that came out, like, Florida State got one, Texas got three, Michigan got two, and then Georgia's up there with 57 first place votes. So they're still the clear number one in terms of like the voters. Um, and I think it's just because there are no great teams. Because Michigan, you're not definitely not going to put Michigan at number one based on 
playing three G5 schools, you know, like Michigan has, has proved nothing to this point. And they, I mean, they haven't even scored a lot of points. They, they're beating teams easily, but they're not necessarily putting up 40 and 50 numbers that, that people want to see when you play those cupcake games. So they could be that great team. And we just don't know yet. I think that's part of the, the problem with the big 10 kind of these slow starts that the that Penn state, Ohio state, not slow starts, but in terms of weak schedules early on, in terms of knowing what they really are, we're going to find out. But it's hard to it's you, it's impossible to call any of those teams a great team coming out of the Big Ten. And I think Florida State was the one we were ready to to kind of crown as like they're a, they're no doubt contender, and they they barely escaped Boston College. So Texas, like it's it's hard to like they didn't they didn't do much. Who do they play again? It wasn't right. Wyoming. Wyoming. There you go. Yeah, it's like they weren't they weren't great. So I think Georgia is still the clear the clear number one at this point, just by by default. But I don't know. Ohio State has an opportunity. I guess Notre Dame and Ohio State, I should say, have an opportunity this weekend, like to make a statement. But uh, these Pac-12 teams are all kind of just we don't know which one's the contender, but it seems like there's a lot of them. But so yeah, I think it's a it's a lot of fun. So I think uh, I don't really know what to make of it, but that's why. I think I'd still just based, not just based on the back-to-back national championships, but just um, I guess that I guess that is big part of it, right? Because Georgia hasn't proven much to this point either with what their schedule's been. So, yeah, I guess Georgia is number one, but it's probably not as not as clear for sure as the as the first place votes would indicate in the AP poll. There you go, Matt Green. We wrap up here with our favorite part, where I know I have to be in front of you at this point through three weeks of the college ball season. How did the pick'em end up going this weekend, sir? Oh, one more note before before we move on. The Iowa Hawkeyes are up mm. to eighty five points on the season, sir. That's that's a whopping twenty eight points per game. So, uh, young Ference is a uh, job is safe right now. Um, Unfortunately, he also plays Penn State on the road this week, so I don't know how <laughs> that's, that's going to. That's why we had to juice that up. They're like, mm. if, we, if we score fifteen versus Penn State, we're still on track. Yeah, uh, uh, with the twenty-five points per game. Um, so this weekend, sir, we had some we had some shuffling in the standings this weekend. So I am now the first place in overall standings. Are after, you after nine and two performance overall? You went eight and three overall. <sighs> Shout out to Zeus for his home dog of the week for Florida, Florida Gators. He's now four and one on the season. However, sir, against the spread is a different story. I, uh, not my best week, five Mm. and six against the spread this week. I'm now 19 and 14 over, uh, against the spread this year. You went eight and three this weekend against Mm. the spread. The the Tennessee Vols let you down, but for the most part, against the spread, you were winning the people money. You're now 21 and 12 against the spread this year. Two games ahead on me. I'm 23 and 10 overall to your 22 and 11. Just a one game lead on you overall. So still tight through uh through the first three weeks. And um, listen to Zeus for his home dog every week. He knows he's winning the people money. There you go. I'm, I like it. I mean, that's still good records. Oh, We're doing all right. Also, this week is it, folks week four and going forward. Here's where things get really hard. There's not going to be some overwhelming favorites here. We're going to the pick them starting this week and going forward. I'm already nervous about all the big games that we're going to have to pick because it's a uh, big boy ball is do here. A, do you have a couple off the top of your head? I know I mean, we Notre got Notre Dame, Dame, Ohio State. Um, we got Colorado Miss, at Oregon. 
Colorado, Oregon. Um, let me see here. Ole uh, Miss, Alabama. That's Ole a Miss, good Alabama. call. Ole Miss, Alabama. Where Florida State at Clemson. Oh, Florida State, Clemson is next yes. week. That's a noon too. Yes. I, Auburn uh, at A and M. I used to really hate the noon kickoff, but now it's like. Just college game day just takes you right into that new yeah. ESPN slot. It's like you're juiced for college football. Let's just kick it off. Let's do it right now. Let's not wait till 3 30, 8 o'clock. Well, that's what I'm saying. So Florida State at Clemson right there, too. You get uh Auburn at AM, like the Utah, UCLA. And Auburn, Auburn owns AM in college station. Well, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of big games here, Matt Green. A lot of big games in the calendar. Oh yeah. I'm I'm jacked about it, as Dan Quinn would say. There you go. Matt Green, always a pleasure. Talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.